1: It's the Blue White
0: Breakdown. Brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Daniel Gallen and Dustin Hawkinsmith. Welcome into another edition of the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you as always by Penn State Health. Dustin Hawkinsmith. Daniel Gallon here with you to guide you through the latest in Penn State football. Looking today at some Keystone State recruiting rankings done by our colleague Brian Linder. We'll tackle that in just a minute. And really just look at Penn State recruiting in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, over the past few years as well, and and the success they've had there and how important it is, especially in the 2023 class. So that's coming up. We'll touch on a couple of news items first. The the news that Justin Weller uh, is transferring to Long Island University. It's not earth-shattering, but to me, and and you can kind of chime in on this, but I'm kind of fascinated by the trajectory of walk-on players. You know, what are you trying to get yeah. out of the Penn State experience and, and, and what does that ultimately do for you? Are you going to stick around the entire time? You see some of them really kind of have to weigh this decision about whether they want to continue doing that or pursue a new opportunity
1: elsewhere. Yeah. I think uh, in terms of the walk-on trajectory, we saw an interesting case last year with Drew Hartlob, uh, where he entered the portal, um, and was debating going, going elsewhere, but stuck around, earned a scholarship, was a really good special teams player for them last year. And, He's going to try to make it in the NFL, um, which will be a, an interesting kind of path to follow. But, you know, Justin Weller will have, you know, five years of the Dwight Galt strength program of getting coached by these, you know, high level Big 10 coaches and then going down a level, uh, to LIU. He has a chance, I think, to make a big impact. But I think for me, from the perspective I was looking at is that there's so many guys in the transfer portal. There's only so many spots available. Um, that you kind of always want to see the players that entered the transfer portal, you want to see them find homes because it's a a leap into uncertainty. And depending on who you are, you know, the program might take you back. But um, it's a leap of faith. And you like to see that these guys will kind of get the chance that they think that they're going to get when they enter the portal, which I think as the the years go on, we're really going to see that isn't always necessarily the case. I need to go back through the list to see who is still kind of out there uh, in terms of Penn state transfers that, that haven't found homes, but Justin Weller uh, headed to, to LIU. And that seems like a, a program that has been able to recruit locally um, kind of the, the second tier prospects uh, in the region. And it's a good football region. So I think that that bodes well for, for that program.
0: At the risk of sounding disrespectful to Justin Weller, I'm going to ask a question. How does Penn State replace that one catch for 10 yards? Where does that come from, Daniel?
1: Well, uh, as Bob pointed out to me uh yesterday, I didn't realize this, that uh Mason Saul, the backup quarterback who almost started against Rutgers, the walk-on, who I think we've heard good things about his athletic traits. He's listed as a wide receiver um, on the roster now. I think he was playing special teams at times last year. He was wearing number 20, which if Penn State could have had a quarterback start uh, a Big Ten game wearing number 20, that would have been awesome uh, from an aesthetic perspective. Uh, so I think that that's kind of I think that's where, uh, where Penn State is, is turning right now. But James Franklin is he he likes his uh, local walk ons or the run ons. And it seems like that the program is really brings in some some interesting prospects who can do things on scout team and, and really be good developmental players. So I think that they have plenty of candidates uh, to replace Justin <laughs>
0: Weller, you know, with walk-ons and, and pursuing a, uh, an opportunity elsewhere, you spend four years, not only with the strength program and get into coaching, but think about, your practices and who you're lining up against and going against power five scholarship players day after day after day and getting overwhelmed by them, I'm sure at times. And then going and going someplace where maybe athletically you're either at least equal to or maybe even superior to some of these guys. I would imagine that's a breath of fresh air. And then you know obviously the dynamic of you know spending four years pretty much just practicing. To getting back into a competitive situation, I would imagine as a walk on, you're really chomping at the bit to actually get on the field and play in a game that counts.
1: Yeah. I feel like it'll be sort of like taking the, the resistance bands off, or I don't think taking the training wheels off is is the right, (laughs) right way to phrase it. But I think that you get so used to doing something at at one level. And then when you, you know, you're even lifting heavier weights, suddenly the weights get lighter and it feels like you're moving twice as fast. Um, That's a really bad metaphor. But I think that it's kind of there's a lot that someone like him can take down to that level. And I think it'll be it'll be interesting to follow where some of these fringier guys kind of land in terms of transferring down um, and to have that opportunity to to get a year to to be a player, a contributor.
0: Let's look at the the next item here, which is the USFL draft. And you mentioned um Christian Campbell, who's a name I hadn't thought about Christian Campbell in a little while. Uh, The only Penn State player who was selected, he went in the 10th round of the Tampa Bay Bandits. I'm not sure if you saw uh, Steven Gonzalez, the former Penn State offensive lineman who did not get a shot in the USFL um, draft, is looking ahead maybe the supplemental draft and, you know, expressing a little bit of frustration about uh, not getting that chance. But, you know, Penn State does have a guy go. Um, USFL, we'll see how that fares. I mean, obviously over time we've seen, you know, leagues come and go and try to bring something a little different to the table than the NFL or play at a different time of year. We'll see. I mean, I, I think anything that gives guys who, um, had been pushed away from football a chance to come back, you know, I'm for that, you know, and, and see and see what happens with this.
1: Yeah. It was, uh, kind of interesting to see some of the names that were coming across, uh, the timeline yesterday in terms of, who got drafted? I thought the draft format was interesting in terms of dividing it up by position, uh, per round, giving teams the, the opportunity to, to pass on picks later if they wanted an extra linebacker, an extra edge rusher or something in an earlier round. Um, but you know, some, some fun names out there from Big Ten country. I know Shea Patterson, uh, from Michigan was the number one overall pick, uh, to the Michigan team. Yeah. I mean, seeing Christian Campbell's name go across, like he was someone too, where I remember seeing him on NFL rosters and kind of bouncing around and hadn't really thought about him in a while, but I was more kind of preoccupied with some of the the names from when I was covering the Eagles, some of the guys that that popped up, like Devontae Bowsby, who actually had a, he had a couple of really good years with the Broncos and, and was really solid. I was kind of surprised to see him there. And then there's just kind of a lot of camp bodies, uh, guys that like Ajene Harris, a uh, cornerback from USC, I remember uh, he just kind of showed up one day uh, they announced he was on the team in the morning and we saw him, you know, two hours after that, just standing on the field, talking to Doug Peterson. And it was like, it's like, does Doug know who that is? Does Doug know that the 90th guy yeah. on the roster, but yeah, I mean, the more opportunities that some of these guys get, the better um, the fact that the USFL is, is giving it a go. There's teams in Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. Obviously, they're going to play this season in Birmingham um, before, I think, kind of broadening the scope a little bit. But you've got the XFL uh, with The Rock um, working its way back, too. So it, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not this finally works. Like, is this actually going to happen for real? Um, back in 2020, it seemed like the XFL might have been on to something. Some of the the ways that they tweaked play and some of the performances they were having it was kind of you could kind of maybe see the the foundation getting laid but obviously when the pandemic happened all bets are off and tough to come back from that when when you completely fold
0: also tough to hang around in the NFL i think is sort of the moral of the story because christian campbell could play you know and i believe he was he was like a sixth round pick if i remember correctly i don't think he went undrafted yep. he he was a selection in the NFL draft came in and and you you do your work and you know, there's sort of built-in incentive to churn a little bit on the roster to try to, to it, once you kind of assess a player, it's it's almost worth it to NFL teams to you know to to try again. You know, throw that player back and try again with somebody else um, like him. You obviously have success stories from all rounds of the draft. How about Nick Scott being a success story from the seventh round of the draft? But most of these guys who you know they, they don't make some kind of quantum leap, even if they're drafted. It's just hard to hang around for more than a year or two. And I think that's why just the cliche, the not for long uh, league uh, holds up and the these alternative leagues. Something's got to stick. The challenge, of course, is that, you know, everybody is so crazed about the NFL. And yeah, I mean, I think it's great to play games outside of that, you know, fall winter bubble. But the n f l owns the news cycle all the time anyway, and people have grown so accustomed to such a high level of play in football, just that inherent i don't want to watch minor leaguers kind of kind of thing prevails i feel like
1: yeah it's the it's the type of thing where when you take kind of the the level down that kind of that space between the n f l where it's the professionals these are the guys doing it at the highest level, and then you get down to college football where all right, like, these aren't necessarily the best guys, but the way that the game is played, the way that things are schemed up, it's designed to kind of mitigate um, some of those things. And also, I think that, you know, you watch college football for something different. You're watching a lot more, maybe for the atmosphere, college football fans that dedicated, dedicated watchers are kind of almost there for the weirdness, for, all right, like, this team might not actually be good. But let's see how, how they might win in, in kind of weird ways where when you watch the NFL, like you're watching it for kind of the, the purpose of watching these guys do it the best that anyone's ever done it. Um, and that space in between there, it's kind of like, like no one wants to watch bad football. And if you lose kind of that college football charm or the things where it's like, okay, there's a design here. Um, there's a reason that some of this stuff is happening when, when you lose that, it can be hard to watch. So. I think that you can mitigate that sort of with what the XFL was doing with kind of these different rule changes. And there, I think there's reports that the XFL and the NFL have some sort of agreement where um, the XFL is going to try things out uh, for the NFL um, when that gets rolling again. It's a tough needle to thread. It's kind of the thing where the fact that it hasn't happened yet with a, a spring football league or a summer league kind of makes you wonder if it'll ever happen but I think the USFL is kind of, it's like relying on, I, you know, some of the nostalgia and some of the brand that's already there. I think that's a good start, um, in terms of a foundation. Obviously, this was the eighties. <laughs> this is a long time ago. So there aren't necessarily a lot of, you know, that the younger generation might not necessarily be familiar, but I think that it kind of helps that there are already these identities, um, that you can lean on. So. So a lot of USFL chat for, for everyone's, uh, everyone's morning right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just interesting. Just looking at the broad, the, the grand scheme of, of football and trying to make one of these leagues work. And clearly people th- seem to think that at some point in time they will. So hopefully we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, Christian Campbell, 10th round of the USFL draft of the Tampa Bay bandits. So stay tuned, follow along, see if there's some upward mobility for a guy like Christian Campbell. If he dominates in the USFL,
1: can he get another shot someplace? That's where, you know, I, I really will tune in for that. The one thing that I was thinking about with this USFL draft, like the, the fact that Penn State only had one player picked, I was trying to think of about how that reflects on the program. And I think that, obviously, you saw there are quite a few Michigan guys, Michigan State guys, a lot of Maryland names that I have not thought about in a while. Uh, very happy to see Will Likely uh, getting another shot to play professional football. Uh, he was one of my my favorites to watch. For Penn State, I think that this kind of – it reflects well on the program that the guys that are getting into the NFL are kind of sticking around and that they've been able to put guys into sort of that, that middle class of the NFL, where obviously you've got the stars, you've got Saquon, um, you know, I think that maybe Pat fryer uh Alan Robinson, uh, Chris Godwin, those are kind of the, the upper tier guys who, who, you know, that obviously that their jobs are safe, but then you've kind of been able to fill out that, middle class that like Ryan Bates is in where you're just a solid starter. You were a solid, you know, maybe you were just a depth piece for a while, but, but you had a job and that you weren't kind of caught up in that roster turn. And a lot of the guys who were taken uh, in the USFL draft were kind of roster turn guys. So I think that it, it kind of, should bo- it kind of reflects well on, on Penn state's development and their ability to kind of put guys into the NFL that can, that can stick around. That was something that stood out to me a little bit.
0: Come to Penn State, you probably won't have to worry about the USFL USFL draft. <laughs> Put that on it, the on, on the I inside can, cover of the media guide next year. I can see the graphics now. I love that, it, it, and you know, the, the, I think in the same font and everything as the Penn State is, uh, Penn State players played in every Super Bowl except for five. I could use that same font for this one. I love it. This is the blue white breakdown. All right, let's look at Hopefully, let's look yeah. at these 2023 uh rankings in the state of Pennsylvania. Brian Linder, our, our guy here at Penn Live, uh put those together and you see, you know, the early makings of what looks to be a really, really good crop of Pennsylvania talent. And then you've got Penn State with um what three out of the top seven players so far in Pennsylvania and still players for you know most of the others high on that list. Uh looking at the commits, you know, Javen Williams from Wild Missing, talented player who you can see a lot of the makings of a, a really toolsy offensive tackle. Joey Schlafer from Exeter Township, the tight end of the three-star. And Lamont Payne, um, cornerback from Chartiers Valley, uh, was was an early commit in this class. You've got three guys from Pennsylvania. You've got a heavy Virginia influence here. Uh, what do you make of Penn State's position with the rest of these guys? I mean, you can go bullet for bullet on on some of these other players, but Penn State looks to be in pretty good shape in a lot of these cases.
1: Yeah, I mean, Brian is the, the hardest working man in show business. Uh, he's got his, his list of the, the top 270 players in Pennsylvania. Um, uh, and obviously as we get closer on that list will get longer and, and things will shuffle around. But I think you look at kind of the, the top level talent, uh, in the state and it really, really stands out to me. Robinson, the linebacker from Bershear in Pittsburgh, uh, he's taken the top spot and Robinson's an interesting prospect where, I think when he kind of came onto the scene, he was a safety. And as he's grown, he's you know, he's kind of moved closer and closer to the offensive line or to the line of scrimmage and at the next level he could be an edge guy. You look behind him, Rodney Gallagher, the athlete wide receiver from Laurel Highland, interesting recruit to follow as he focuses full time on football. Uh Javen Williams at number three. Uh Phil Picciotti, the linebacker from Penridge he was someone interesting to follow in the fall as his recruitment really, really took off um, and kind of took on a, a really national bent um, with some of the schools that have offered him. Um, and then Ramir Stewart uh, from Imhotep charter at number five, obviously Imhotep has a great track record of, of churning out some high level defensive backs. So that's something that you want to keep an eye on. And obviously we saw Penn state this year, they recruited defensive backs pretty heavily. So I think the one thing that stands out to me about uh, this top five uh, and kind of how it relates to Penn State and kind of, I guess, this top 15 overall is the number of linebackers that are there. And linebacker is a position that, uh, you know, Penn State added Abdul Carter and Keon Wiley in the class of 2022. But I think we've kind of talked about it before where Penn State was really fortunate in 2021 that they made it through the season without any real injuries or any real absences. Uh, you lost Ellis Brooks for the end of the Wisconsin game and the beginning of the Ball State game, um, but you had Jesse Lucetta there to kind of clean things up. But if you'd lost Brandon Smith or Curtis Jacobs for an extended period of time, you would have been in a in a really tough spot. Um, and I think we kind of saw that in the in the Outback Bowl, where without Brooks and Smith, the second level looked a little bit different. So I think that it's a good spot to build depth, and I think that. These, these classes, that's a really good, uh, spot to do that too.
0: And I think if you're looking to continue with the linebacker you branding, what better way to do that than with true blue Pennsylvania linebackers? And I think that was something that showed up in the 2022 class with Ken Talley, Abdul Carter, and Keon Wiley. You've got a trio of Philadelphia linebackers to maybe, you know, make that next step and, and be the linebackers of the future. You've got a a hefty presence of linebackers in this class too. And what better way than to kind of continue the tradition that Penn State is built around by keeping kids in state who play that position. I think that's a, that's a, something that they want that obviously there's value in getting all these different types of linebackers from Pennsylvania. There's also some, some value in maintaining that Pennsylvania connection the whole way through there and, and building around that, that, you know, that blue collar, Pennsylvania football kind of thing at that,
1: at that spot. And Penn State has kind of shown in, in the way that they use their defense that you can do some really interesting things with these linebackers that if you recruit a bunch of linebackers, it gives you some flexibility. Um, we saw it with Zariah Fisher uh, moving down to defensive end. Um, he's going to be someone to watch this year after having a full year of kind of working through that that transition um we saw it with jesse lucchetta also moving to defensive end last year the way that brent pry ran his defense that that sam linebacker was sort of a safety hybrid nickel corner uh, regarded as, as a pretty good athlete so you know you can bring in a guy like a tamir robinson maybe who can do some things in space and and be kind of a, a presence out there so Um, It kind of gives you some flexibility um, if you bulk up at linebacker and you can move these guys around. It's also one of those positions that you can kind of rotate through sometimes to get uh, a lot of different bodies onto the field, depending on the situation.
0: There's also just I know this is going a little far afield from Pennsylvania recruits, but, you know, the cornerback to safety pipeline has been has been probably Penn State's most utilized pipeline when it comes to changing positions. But you're also seeing more and more, not just Penn State, but but elsewhere, the line between a safety and linebacker continues to get more and more blurry. And we haven't heard you know anything official from Penn State Jonathan Sutherland is still listed as a safety on Penn State's roster Th- there could be some mobility for him to shuffle down there and and bring anytime you can bring you know uncommon something to the table at a new position it's worth exploring and you know for Sutherland to maybe bring a little bit of um you know movement and quickness to the linebacker spot uh it'll be interesting to watch but in in this class in 23 um Phil Picciotti who you mentioned Uh, Samaj Bridgman from Archbishop Wood, uh, and Josiah Trotter from St. Joe's prep, you know, three linebackers in the top, what, 12, um, of, of our rankings on Penn live of, uh, top players in the state. In addition to Tamir, uh, Robinson, who we talked about too, who, uh, looks like a super player and looks like, um, a guy that Penn state has legitimate footing in, in with him.
1: Yeah. I think that this is kind of a class where you can really remake the linebackers. Um, you make a really good point about the safeties uh, and kind of the the hybrid, someone like Jonathan Sutherland. Um, we saw it a little bit last year. Penn State would use a three safety set uh, with Jalen Reed out there with Jaquan Brisker and Jair Brown. And that was something where the time that I spent covering the Eagles, Jim Schwartz uh, loved to use that three safeties. They called it the big nickel and where you would move Malcolm Jenkins up and basically play him as a linebacker. Um, because you had the speed, you had the short tackling, you had the size. And that's something that Philadelphia with Jenkins, uh, Rodney McLeod and Corey Graham, I mean, they rode that to the Super Bowl. I mean, that was basically I think their base defense during that run. And it's just like the whole thing where to counteract these offenses, you need to have so many athletes on the defensive side of the ball. I think there's a there's a Jim Schwartz joke where he was like, Oh, when I was coming up, all the safeties were named like tank and thumper. Um, and, and those guys don't really exist anymore. And I think that when you look at the Penn State defense, I mean, maybe the Mike linebacker spot is the, is the main spot where you can play someone like that. So just kind of all about athletes. You, you get the athletes, throw them on the field and then you just kind of figure it out from there. And I think you look at this, the top of this, uh, this Pennsylvania recruiting class, Tamir Robinson, uh, is someone who I think really fits that bill and it'll be interesting to see those other linebackers kind of what their athletic tools are for, for what Penn State is looking for.
0: One final note, um, from this group, Rodney Gallagher is, is an electric athlete who, um, I th- he was what football and basketball has, has narrowed his focus to football. And I wonder, you know, looking at, at the fall coming up what will that mean for him? He's a player that if his athleticism translates and you see him make a leap when it comes to football skill, because he's focused on that sport. um, He's a guy who can be a true blue chip player who I think Penn state and a lot of other
1: programs want. Yeah. I think that you kind of look at someone getting a spring, a summer um, full focus on the camp circuit, less time with, with on the AAU circuit. Uh, I think that'll be really interesting to watch. I mean, I think James Franklin and Pat Narduzzi were out at one of his basketball games uh, earlier this month or last month. And I think that he's someone that a lot of people want. And I think that he can just be kind of one of the, I guess, the stars of the camp circuit. Um, once you start getting these times down, once you start getting these accurate measurements down, once you start seeing him go through one-on-ones, I think he's someone whose stock can, can really get boosted uh, in the coming you know, weeks, months, year, uh, up until signing day.
0: We'll keep an eye on these 2023 rankings. Brian Linder will be updating them periodically along the way. This was a February 24th update. Certainly, more will be happening as you mentioned, as they as we get into the spring and summer, and you have recruiting visits taking place, and you have guys who get more offers, who expose, you know, that uh, a skill level that maybe we don't quite know yet. You go through the summer circuit and uh, get the testing done. You're going to see some players in this class move up and down. We'll stay on top of it, and uh, we'll see what Penn State is able to do to continue reeling these guys in the top players from Pennsylvania. There you go. That's Daniel Gallon. I'm Dustin Hawkinsmith, recapping the 2023 class here in Pennsylvania for the blue white breakdown. Check us out uh, on PennLive.com. That's Penn slash Penn state football. Follow along with Daniel uh, stays really, really current with whatever's going on in Penn state football in the off season at Daniel JT Gallon on Twitter. And you can locate and download all of our blue white breakdown podcasts on Alexa, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on the Blue White Breakdown. This is the Blue White Breakdown.